0: Welcome, welcome, friends, to another episode of the Stride Forward Show. This week, I'm bringing on Anna Burgess-Yang, who is a freelance writer in the financial technology space, as well as a workflow consultant. Anna spent about 15 years as a product manager in the B2B loan risk management space. With all of those years of experience, she took it upon herself to branch out on her own and offer automation and workflow consulting for solopreneurs and small business owners. So at this point, Anna basically has two primary revenue streams, which is the freelance writing and the consulting. In our conversation, we talk about charging premium prices for freelance writing in hard-to-enter sectors. We talk a lot about workflow consulting and automation processes that you can take away and leverage so you can speed up your own workflows. We also touch on content creation and discuss how going viral can impact you as a creator, and how to properly leverage viral. On to the show, Anna. Thank you so much for taking the time to join the podcast. I'm really looking forward to kind of diving into your experience in product product management as well as like a freelance writer. Uh, before we get into that too much or too heavy i'd love for you to just kind of introduce yourself in your own words and let everyone know kind of what you do and what you're all about
1: thanks so much um so i spent uh 15 years at a financial technology company or a fintech as it's otherwise known Uh, worked in product management was on the executive team and then in 2021 when a lot of people were quitting their jobs and reassessing their lives i joined the great resignation and quit without anything completely lined up and pivoted into content marketing and journalism. Spent about two years at content agencies and writing for a magazine before completely going out on my own as a a freelance writer, solopreneur, doing all kinds of content creating things.
0: Yeah, no, I was just going through your blog and looking at all the, the features you've done since then, so like Zapier um, web flow, all that stuff. So I'd love to start there. Like obviously moving from the corporate world and then agency life and then a freelance writer, like how was that transition from a portfolio standpoint? Did you just start with like guest blogs or did you have a portfolio that you pulled from the corporate world? How did that work for you?
1: So interestingly, when I decided that I wanted to leave corporate life, uh, about four months before I actually uh, quit, I knew, that I wanted to do something different than product management. Um, it's a I, I love product management. I enjoy writing about it now, but um, I just was ready for a change. I didn't know that content marketing existed. I didn't know that that was a job. I uh, you're I can see you kind of laughing. Um, I it, I'm, I'm serious. Um, I was looking on different uh, websites and trying to just find something, and somehow this role of content marketing came up, and I was an English major in college, I always have considered myself a writer at heart, but I could tell that nobody would hire me without a portfolio, and I had not i had nothing. I had just a personal blog that I'd been writing in for 10 years, but that didn't count. Um, so I, I started truly at a content mill, um, churning out blog posts for Uh, pennies. Uh, But one of the benefits of working there was like the company let me republish the work in my own portfolio. Um, So I was able to select work. Uh, There was a giant queue of work. I was able to select things that were in my wheelhouse with product management and finance and topics that I was comfortable with. So I built up a portfolio that way. And with that, I was able to then submit an application to actual jobs, full-time jobs, uh, as a content marketer. And so that then eased the transition from that prior life into my new life of doing content marketing and journalism.
0: Wow, the content meal background. I wasn't expecting that. To be honest with you, I thought there was going to be a smoother transition. So.
1: I wow, uh... I never I also didn't really have a concept of what those types of companies were, or what they paid compared to what um, other agencies paid or in-house marketers. So I truly didn't know. I had no concept of what writers should be paid, um, and so I was content to just churn out blog articles in the evening, in the morning, outside of my nine to five job in order to build this portfolio of work and then ease my way out, or I shouldn't say ease my way out since I quit without, without something else lined up. Um, but, uh, I was able to have some something to show that I could write.
0: Okay. So then here's the real question. If you could do that path again, would you go that route again to build a portfolio or no?
1: <laughs> I don't know because I didn't know any different. I, I, truly had no idea what writing paid, should pay, what magazines paid. When I um, graduated from college, which was a while ago, um, it seemed like writers were not well paid. You know, local journalism was kind of it. There was some online writing that didn't seem to me at the time to be a way to actually build a sustainable career. So that's why I went into tech instead. And so um, I thought, well, maybe that when I was started building a portfolio, I thought, well, maybe this is just it. Maybe this is just what writing is like, except that I wanted a a full-time job um, at a salary rather than um, just doing this freelance writing. So I'm not sure that I could have done anything differently unless somebody had come and knocked on my door and said, hey, if you've got some writing skills, you might try a different route. But that's the way I ended
0: up well like the grit is a lot to be admired there I don't think I could do it but yeah you're right like we are so trained to think that writing is just this like if you're going to write you're going to be broke and you just have to like live with that um but I don't view writing itself as like a one-stop career path I don't think you do either and so I don't want to speak for you but I feel like writing is a supplement to something else on top like a consulting position or um course creator if you're in the creator economy and that's your thing so like for me like i do writing assignments and writing jobs but only if i enjoy them but then i also write on my own uh, my own blog etc but then i use that and my expertise and knowledge in the topics that i write about to land clients in different spaces so for you that's obviously like um like workflow consulting, right? So talk to me a little bit about, so I know you write about a variety of different topics, but you also do this whole workflow consulting thing, which I'd love to learn more about because that's not a phrase you hear every day. So can we talk a little bit more about that?
1: Yes, so uh, while I was working in tech, um, I uncovered a little tool called Zapier, which I think a lot of people are aware of. They know that it automates things. They don't necessarily know how it works, or maybe they do. But I realized that I could connect different tools, move things from point A to point B that were happening manually. I was working in a small company, had to wear a lot of hats and I was like, oh, this is something I don't have to do anymore. I can automate it. Um, And so I did a lot of that in my role. And then when I moved even out of that and moved into content marketing, I took that with me. I took that skill with me. I'm like, oh, I can automate some of my work at this agency, just kind of work flow type stuff, you know, um, even if nobody else is doing it. I can I can do it for myself. Um, and then I moved into a sales role at a different content agency, and I still was automating things in the background. Um, and I realized, especially for kind of creators and solopreneurs, they do a lot. I mean, they have their hands on everything. And so I realized there's kind of this, um, this niche ex- expertise. That I have that I've done this type of automation and I understand what solopreneurs need that I can kind of help them figure those things out. So, um, I work with different people who are kind of in a similar space as me. Maybe it's just them. Maybe it's them and one other person trying to understand, okay, what are you doing now that just sucks? (laughs) Like it's boring. It's tedious. It has to be done. It has to be done. It's part of your business, but you just hate doing it. And so how can you make those types of things? Automated. Um, so I, you know, I use Zapier personally. I have something like 47 Zaps in the background running all the time. It automates like 1,500 tasks for me a month. I mean, that's hours, 20 hours, 30 hours. I have no idea. It's a lot of time that I'm not spending. So I like splitting my time between the writing, which I do enjoy, writing for clients, writing for myself, but also helping other people people kind of get rid of that boring work
0: yeah that's it's everyone has that and it's terrible. I use Zapier honestly for just one thing and that is moving an email address from one landing page or sign up page to some other list So like I'm pretty basic when it comes to Zapier but it's still a lifesaver when it comes to like organization. So I have to know like if you only had one of those 47 tasks or whatever, which one would it be that you would keep?
1: It would probably be something related to my client work. Um, And it's probably, it's like a 14-step zap. But if I could only keep one, that would be it. And it's when a client requests content from me, and sometimes they use a form that I've created. Sometimes I fill it out for them if they send it to me via email. Um, But it drops the request into Airtable, which is kind of my source of truth for all of the content requested. It's where I keep track of how much I'm going to bill them. Um, Then it creates the document for me, the Google doc, uh, the draft in um, my Google Drive. So it's just a blank doc, but it also includes the information that they gave me with what they're looking for, the topic, any of the notes. Then it also moves, uh, creates a card in Trello, which is my project management tool, um, that the new request is there. And then it also links the Google Draft, um, the, the URL to both Airtable and Trello. So all of my systems are connected. If I'm in Airtable, I'm looking to build them. and I'm like, what was the draft for that? I can click on it and see the link. If I'm in Trello and I'm working on it, I can easily click over and see the draft as well. Um, and it puts it in the correct client folder. So it's not just sitting in my Google Drive wherever. I have it all mapped so that it knows what client it is folder to put it in. Um, so I'd have to keep that one because that is just a ma- massive time saver with all of those steps that, yes, it took a, a little bit to set up and to figure out what that was going to look like. But then, I mean, that's my livelihood is A lot of it is writing for clients. So to keep all of that organized and working the way that I want is a big thing.
0: Yeah, I think you probably just sold everybody listening on, on hiring you to save one thing. Because I assume, <laughs> like, when you go, obviously, if you're calling yourself a consultant, like, you're probably building these for people and then just training them yes. how to use it. Is that what you're doing? Okay, yeah. So, yeah, that right there is, like, a game changer, the fact that that works. But is so powerful. I think, like, it is this tool that you can dive into, like, solo and be literally, like, a Zapier consultant, not even, and go beyond that. Like, it's insane how powerful Zapier is.
1: Yeah. And, um, and, you know, I write for Zapier too. Um, I write about different workflows and things, but, you know, when a lot of times when I I see consultants and things like that, they're looking to work with companies um, or larger organizations or even small organizations, but they're still looking at companies. Um, And there aren't a lot of people that are truly focused on just working with creators, freelancers, solopreneurs. And that's kind of what I focus on um, because I know that they're doing so much and there's just one of them. And so that time saving is a big deal.
0: Yeah. um, Yeah. It's the biggest thing for me is how do I do all of my content, especially, and still like balance my life and actually have a life. (laughs) Uh, So you mentioned like, obviously, I mean, obviously I've seen the articles and stuff, but so I know that you write for Zapier as well. How did you land the writing gig with a company of, you know, that magnitude that's so well known. I mean, did you pitch them and just kind of use your expertise and say, this is how I use the tools, I'm the perfect fit here. How did that go? Like, what was that like?
1: I got a little lucky, I will admit. Um, So one of the content agencies that I worked for uh, is very well known um, and has a lot of high caliber clients. So I was able to get some really good work into my portfolio. Um, And some of my friends that worked there ended up leaving and going in house at different companies. So I know somebody at Zapier. She's not on that part of the content team. She does different types of content, but she was able to introduce me to the editor there. Um, Same with Webflow. I was able to get that because of somebody that I knew there. The content world is very small. Um, I network like crazy. I network on LinkedIn. I, you know, I stay connected to people that I've worked with at different agencies. I worked in sales at an agency, so I made a lot of connections that way. So I'm not going to lie, that's helped a lot. Um, I don't do a ton of cold pitching. I haven't needed to. Uh, Even with my client work, a lot of most of it is inbound.
0: Yeah, so I'm the exact same way. And I I say this like once a week somewhere, either on Twitter or LinkedIn, uh, Instagram. I'm like, look, like other freelancers or other creators or other solopreneurs whatever none of these people are your competition even if you're in the exact same niche because you never know what's going to come and what opportunities you may have, find just because you maintain like a great positive relationship and help support one another and like it always comes back to just that network and referral aspect i feel yeah. like every time
1: i've been in the industry for you know however long and i got a dm on linkedin today from somebody that i talked to 10 years ago when I was in my fintech role and she's like, oh, I happen to see that you're freelancing now and she does marketing and wanted me to talk to me about writing for their blog. And so it's just maintaining those relationships because you never know what they're gonna bring for you.
0: Yeah, even like the last writing gig I got, someone just randomly reached out on LinkedIn and was like, hey, are you still doing this? And I was like, I mean, maybe. (laughs) It just depends on if it's the right fit or what it is. Uh, And then a 10-minute call later, boom, another six-month basically retainer. And, like, that's just how it works. Um, So let's go way, way back to, like, why you were in product management, what you liked about it, what you didn't like about it. How do we apply that to the solopreneur space? And, like, what made you actually want to leave that? And a lifestyle
1: so what what about product management is like solopreneur life um definitely that project management aspect you know a lot of people um you know product management is understanding customer needs very very well and then basically translating those needs to the development staff at least that was my role as a small company sometimes those roles are more split at larger companies but that was my job um So I really needed to know what those customers wanted at the end of the day, even if they didn't quite say it the way that you would expect them to say. Um, And then taking what the development team came up with and making sure that it was met what the customer expected. But there were a lot of details involved in in rolling out a product, um, keeping track of deadlines, keeping track of all of the little pieces that um, had to come together in exactly the right way. In order to meet a release deadline. Um, so, project management, a lot. So, that absolutely has been something that I've brought with me from that product management life and also really understanding an audience because the customers at the end of the day, the users of the product, that was my audience in a way. You know, I had to make them happy. And so, um, that part has really translated from product management into content marketing, even -hmm. though they seem like they're completely different. Um, Why I wanted to leave, uh, the company that I worked for was not um, really up to date on current technology, it was kind of an outdated system, it was outdated technology. When I first realized that I wanted to leave, I was looking at product management jobs, and I realized that I did not have a lot of the skills or tech background that would be expected of a product manager today. And I looked at how long I had been in the space and what it might take for me to get those skills and train myself. And I thought, do I really wanna do that? I'm feeling kind of old. Maybe I should just go down a different path and start over. Um, You know, the product was not web-based product. It was, you know, it was a product that was installed on a server. So most products now are web-based and I just, I don't have that expertise. So I thought, well, instead of learning all of this stuff, I'm just going to start over. And so that's what I did.
0: <laughs> no, that's, hey, honestly, that's the best way to go most of the time, I feel like. Um, especially, so was all the 15 years it was at one company?
1: 15 years at one company.
0: Oh, that's ancient times now. You know? I, know. Like that's, I know. That's, that's not, not a thing that's anymore. unheard of But anymore. you know. <laughs>
1: I'm an elder millennial and um, that's kind of the way I was raised um, was you stayed in one career, you worked your way up the ladder and you just stayed there. And I, when I left, I mean, I was part of the executive team. I wasn't just the product manager. I actually oversaw the customer success department and I was part of a three person executive team and you know, was in line that when the CEO retired that I'd even move up even higher. So, but that's, that's what I was told to do. That's the life that I was supposed to have. You, you climb that career ladder and you just go. And even if you don't like the job or don't like the company, you, you're loyal. And so that was the mentality that I had for a very long time. And it really took you know, a pandemic to realize that I, I don't think I have to do this anymore. I don't think you know this company is not what I wanna do. Um, there, there was a pretty toxic work environment for a lot of things. And I think I, I really thought I just had to suck it up. I just had to stay there. Um, and then I realized I, I don't have to do that. I can do something else.
0: Yeah. Uh, I'm, this is a pro anaconda. con. I'm way too petty. So it didn't take me a pandemic to realize like the employer doesn't always necessarily have my best interest in mind. So it's good and bad about that. I'm not as petty as I used to be though, of course, as I grow older. And but yeah,
1: good. Skill. I like that. I like
0: that. <laughs> it's a skill. That's what we're going to call it. A skill. Yeah. It's a skill for sure. Okay. So, um, no, that, that makes a lot of sense though. So in your freelancing life, I mean, obviously with the, especially the customer experience background that you have and expertise there. Like, would you say to like someone that's getting into freelancing, do you think it's more important to maybe start with the portfolio and sales? Or do you think that customer experience is like heavily like underrated in the freelancing space?
1: I think customer experience is underrated, but I wouldn't have gotten where I am now without the portfolio. I mean, there are clients that, don't even get to a phone call because they're like, can we see your portfolio? And then once they see it, they're like, sure, we want a phone call. But if I didn't have that portfolio to back up my work, I wouldn't have even gotten to that sales point. So that's hard to say, you know, that's hard to say. I don't know that you can sell like, hey, um, I'm a reliable freelancer, I'll turn in my stuff on time, you're gonna be happy, I'll, I'll do revisions. Those are all great things to offer. But clients really just they want to see results and so um i like that about freelancing i like that my portfolio can kind of sell itself um so yeah i think for better or worse freelancers have to get that portfolio under their belt in some way
0: yeah and um i mean i agree it's the portfolio and then that's also why i preach content so much because um that will build your network which will get you in the door even if your portfolio is still not quite there yet um and so you can kind of build authority through that too and so it's like equal parts is what i would say like if you're wanting to get started start right there start the portfolio and start making content and get your name out there in both ways
1: and truly like working you know working at a content mill um that's what built me the portfolio because i didn't treat it like that Turned out really high quality content for you know clients that were in my space in tech and um, finance and things like that so content that a lot of freelancers couldn't write or didn't have the background to write and I could and so then when I was going to the next level and trying to get a job at an agency I did have that portfolio there it was ready for me
0: Yeah. So how much of your work is split between the consulting side and the writing side, because most of your, um, even your digital products, they're more of like the workflow and automation side as well. So like, what's that split look like for you right now?
1: Right now it's probably about, probably about 80% client work, probably about 10% consulting work and probably about 10% my own content on medium Substack. My newsletter, things like that. Um, I'd like to see that change over time. But right, you know, I just started freelance writing um, five or six months ago, full time. I was doing, I've been freelancing for two years, but full time only about six months ago. So I had the writing portfolio. Like that part has been easy um, in order to get clients. The workflow piece is kind of people have to understand what it is. I have to get clients that have been willing to say, yes, she did a great job, um, which has happened, but I don't have that kind of background yet. So, um, and that's fine. You know, I enjoy working with the clients that I do. So I think eventually I'd like to move, you know, more into a 50, 50 split. Um, but I'm totally fine with where it is now.
0: Yeah. I was, Cause they're just all interesting to me and like all of the tools and you've obviously you've written the ebook too. On like the content library, um, is that also more centric to just writing in general, or would that, or is that more of like exactly that 50-50 50 blend? Someone can download that and not only learn how to create content, but also like really take principles or practices into other parts of their like kind of workflow.
1: You know, I really kind of um, see myself as a little bit of an educator. I think. Um, Before I was a product manager, I was an implementation specialist, and so I was helping uh, banks and credit unions implement enterprise software, I was training them. And so I was literally teaching them how to use this product and how it was going to improve their workflow. And I did that for a long time. Um, And so part of that in me still exists, I think, uh, whether it's writing on Medium or my newsletter. Um, I just like to help people figure out like, Oh, Hey, this part of your day could be better. And maybe they figure that out on their own and they're able to do that by themselves. And that's great. And if they want to work with me, that's great too. But I don't have a problem just talking about, um, you know, this is how you could build something, or this is how you could automate something and, and maybe that light bulb comes, goes off because I don't think that all content creators or freelancers, they're not necessarily natural tools people or automation people, that's just a different skill set. Um, and I just happen to have both because of the background and the work that I did before.
0: Yeah, I think like I can attest to that too, because I have such, like, such the the business background was always ingrained in me. I mean, obviously with grad school and just the work I've done in the corporate world. But then when I moved into, like, the digital space and the creator space and all this, like, you're you're immediately hit with all these different tools. Like, um, Zapier being one of them, and you're like, what is this? Notion is something that's like not in the corporate world at all, but it's every day in a creator life. And you're like, okay, now I gotta figure this out and figure, see what I can do with this. And so there's like, it's just like this whole new world opens up to you. And it also just leads to all of these distractions. <laughs> so having a resource like yours, uh, which is like, these are the 17 tools you need, which I'll put in the show notes too, because people need to download it. Um, but it's like having resources like that is incredibly useful for people that are like entering this space for the first time, especially right now with all the AI tools, obviously. Um, because I feel like people are blowing up Twitter and LinkedIn every day with, oh, there's another new tool. You have to know about it. It's going to change your life. And I'm like, no, just let me be <laughs> for one day.
1: Yeah. And I see lists all the time like, oh, here's the five tools you need to start your creator life. But they don't really explain what they're for or why you would pick one over the other or like, what's the basic tool that you need to get started versus like, what do you need when you're six months down the road? Um, And so, you know, I looked at all of those different tools and like, what do you need on day one? And what do you need on day 100? And they're totally different. Um, and And I think a lot of freelancers struggle with that. They see there's so many tools and like, how do you pick one? And I'll make a conf- I'll make a confession too. I didn't never use Slack before I left the corporate world, and now I use Slack all the time with my different clients. But that was just that was another thing, just pivoting out of one life into another. And now I'm in like 18 Slack channels <laughs> for all these different for, for communities and clients and things like that. But that's another tool that's just out there, like Notion, and it just doesn't exist in certain parts of the you know um, corporate life.
0: Yeah, uh, hot take here, but I actually hate Slack. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I have like, a love-hate I have it. Yeah, it's like I have it because I feel like you have to, basically, but I do not enjoy Slack at all. Like, I just find navigating it to be so strange. But, yeah, <laughs> I'm with you on just, like, having all these tools, though. Uh, so you're actually not only writing, obviously, a ton for clients, but you obviously write your own content. I'm assuming every day because that's what it obviously seems like. So, but you're not only writing on one or two platforms. You're, like you mentioned before, you've been on Substack. You've been on Medium, which is where I originally came across your name many months ago. Um, Twitter, LinkedIn, and then you have your newsletter, which I believe is ConvertKit. Correct me if I'm wrong. Um, So there's going to be a two-part question. So number one is how do you balance... And decide where to write and when like what, what's your kind of content system you have going on
1: so substack is every other week my newsletter is every other week from convertkit but they're alternating weeks so it's one or the other um, medium i try to do once a week that is the one where i wish i were more consistent but um you know i I know that my, my sub stack, my newsletter audience, they're like waiting on Thursday morning for that to show up in their inbox. And because I don't have that like pressure with medium, that's always the one that kind of falls by the wayside, but I do try to do one the week. Uh, LinkedIn is twice a day. Twitter is two or three times a day. Um, and so I just basically have, I know that that's how much I'm going to post in all those various platforms. I also have a blog that's once a week. Um, so I, You know, I just, I, my, my writing time for those platforms is in the morning. I'm a very early bird. I get up, I write for myself so that my work first. And then after I get my kids off to school and they're gone, the house is quiet. Then I start on my client work for the day. But that first part of the day is just for me.
0: Okay. Yeah. Cause that's just so much writing. And I say that as someone that feels like they write a ton, cause I'm like you, I wake up and I write for me right away. Um, I mean, even back like last summer when I was doing more writing assignments and I was posting on Medium every day and LinkedIn every day, I feel like you're still outpacing that. And that was like a lot for me. (laughs) So it's like fascinating to hear like what the system is. Are you repurposing any at all? So do you take, okay, so you're taking like small chunks from your blogs and putting those on Twitter and LinkedIn. Is that where that's coming from?
1: So, um, and I use Zapier to help um, a lot. So, I use Buffer to schedule Twitter and LinkedIn. Um, LinkedIn posts, longer posts, get chopped up into shorter tweets. Everything that gets published on my blog, Substack Convert Kit, um, those get repurposed into at least two or three social posts, um, just taking a piece from that. But what's happening in the background is Zapier is turning those into. Um, moving those into Trello for me, which is where I plan all of my content. And so when um, something gets published on my Substack, per se, uh, it'll go into Trello as three different cards, two weeks, four weeks, six weeks later. And then I go back to the original URL and I find something out of that. So basically it's building out this entire content calendar for me. Based on when I publish it, and saying, "Okay, now it's time to repurpose this. Now it's time to repurpose this." So I'm not doing it all. Um, you know, it's not four things based on my Substack. You know, in the next four days, it's spread out a lot. So I'm not doing a whole lot of thinking about what I need to write that day because I can see, based on my prior content, and the fact that it's all coming from Zapier into Trello. What do I need to write that day? I also repurpose every single LinkedIn comment, not every single, most LinkedIn comments that I write. Um, So comments get turned into their own posts. Um, Posts from Twitter go back to LinkedIn if I post like something short. So it's an entire system.
0: Yeah, everyone has to find their system, but that's brilliant. And that's because that's the first time I've ever heard of someone, obviously with the Trello connection, schedule out just the content they're going to pull from and then write it later or repurpose it later as opposed to what I've always done and what everyone else I talk to does is they will write a longer form piece of content if they're going to take chunks from that they will then go ahead and do that and schedule it for later but let me tell you what happens when I do that I used there was a point in time where I was like seriously like a month or two ahead on all my content it was amazing but the problem is like something would go out and then I'd go on LinkedIn and see, Oh, what did I post today? And so I'd have to go read my own post (laughs) just to see like, what the heck did I say today? Oh, okay. This is what I'm talking about. All right. Great. And so no, I like your system actually better. I need to figure out how to implement that myself because that's, that's brilliant.
1: Yeah. I do have everything scheduled out, usually about two weeks on Twitter and LinkedIn. So the same thing, something will go on LinkedIn and I'd be like, Oh, is that what I wrote? Um, but, uh, you know, at the time that I'm sitting down and batch writing, you know, my next bunch of LinkedIn posts, yes, yeah, so then at that point, I'm going and rewriting, um, you know, something from from a blog or from uh, my Substack or, or or from a comment that I'd previously made and turning it into something
0: longer. Yeah. Um, I love I, – I've recently, like, restructured my entire content system to go that route, like, taking something small and then if it gets validated or um... – just somebody responds to it in a unique way, I'll be like, okay, that caught on. And then I build from there as opposed to what I used to do, which was like the longer form blog and then take chunks. Uh, So I've been playing around with that recently. And I actually really, really love it. It saved me a lot of time, but now I find that the super long form, like, you know, when you're talking like not super long form, like a book, but when you're talking like 2000 or plus word blogs, now it's like, man, this is hard. (laughs) It's like, almost like out of touch a little bit. So, there's that to keep in mind too. But whichever way you go, like what I always recommend is is start with one. Start with this small big piece and then build up on it. Or start with the long piece and take chunks. But you will not survive the content game without repurposing. <laughs> like you no, just
1: simply you won't. I don't I don't have that many unique thoughts in my brain. Like I just don't. <laughs> so like, and if you I do,
0: to... then I don't know that you're superhuman. So you need to yes. just lean into that and talk about that. Uh, okay, so back to the platforms though, because it's Substack, ConvertKit, Medium. Uh, you've probably tested others. So I get this question fairly frequently. and I got it in my DM just the other day. It was somebody looking to start a newsletter. And so they wanted to know what my thoughts were and why. Uh, so I'm curious to know your thoughts. Like if someone is going to start writing online and start a like blogging platform or a newsletter today, what would you recommend?
1: I get this question also. Um, I'm in a, a Slack group with a bunch of writers. Um, some are content marketers, some are journalists, some, you know, and, and sums up, you know, I'm gonna start a newsletter, where do I go? Um, I say, well, it depends on your goals. Um, Medium, I think, is very discoverable, you know, so if you are unknown, uh, you know, Medium is a great place to kind of, uh, if you get into publications, you can find people that way. And what I do with Medium is I send them in the direction of one of my other platforms. I either send them to my Substack or I send them to Gumroad uh, to download one of my free assets, which then gets them into ConvertKit because <laughs> there's integration between those. Um, you know, I think Substack is really good for um, journalistic style writing, which is how I write there. I write about remote work, um, the future of work, why work sucks, why work sh- shouldn't suck. Um, so, that's very friendly to that style of writing. But I don't think Substack by itself is very discoverable. You have got to be promoting the heck out of that thing or already have a large audience. Um, so, if you're trying to grow on Substack, I do think it's hard. Um, ConvertKit, um, you know, if you're using that for a newsletter, I'm feeding everybody into ConvertKit from some other platform. Um, and I have very few unsubscribes, so people are downloading one of my um, Gumroad assets. There's, and, then, and then I'm delivering the same type of thing in my convert kit. So, you know, that works well to kind of have this lead magnet of some kind. So my flow is basically medium to Gumroad to convert kit, and it's just a cycle. And so I'm building a newsletter that way, and that works really well. Um, you know, but if you're just starting from zero, I'd probably say start on Medium just because you've got the largest potential for audience unless you just really hammer like Twitter or LinkedIn and are able to find people and direct them that way.
0: Yeah, it's, I mean, I started on Medium and a lot of people don't know that. They assume LinkedIn. Uh, I started on Medium. Now I have voiced obviously some beef with Medium recently, which we won't get into here, but um I still love and find a lot of joy in writing on the platform. Like, their editor is gorgeous. I love the way it looks when you publish. Um, and there's a lot of really great writers and people there. I mean, that's where I originally saw your name. Um, but Medium has, for all of its downsides, like it really does have like a pretty high quality, I would say, on average, of writing compared to basically any other platform. And it's beautiful. And it's also a great place to come up with ideas because there's a lot of really talented people there that publish nearly every day. Or at the very least, you can read the titles there and see what's getting clicked because, man, some people are so skilled at just titles alone. And titles are like a science on, on their own.
1: <laughs> they are. They are. I My first Medium posts were terrible. They're, they were fine. They were well-written, but they had terrible titles. And so they didn't get any traction. Um, And I'm now in quite a few medium publications for different topics, and so I can kind of write on a variety of different things and get uh, more eyeballs on that content depending on what publication I send it to, Um, which, like I said, is the goal of that is to drive people basically to my own email list so that I can then um, give them different types of content that I have more control over.
0: Yeah. So let's take it one step further with like your, your content system, but more so like the monetization side, as opposed to obviously you have like your lead magnets and the ebook, which is uh, a lower price digital product. And all of that goes to the convert kit. So the convert kit is the bi-weekly newsletter. And well, can you talk to me about like, what do you write about in your newsletter? Mostly, I, I believe it's the workflow automation stuff. And then what's kind of so obviously they're getting that free value, but then what's kind of the upsell there? I, I assume like, I, I don't remember exactly what the signature says, but what is the upsell kind of thing? Like where they're getting this value and when they're ready, what's the next step for them?
1: Yeah. So right now my newsletter, like you said, is very workflow based. Um, it's kind of like, I hate life hacks. I even say that like on the landing page, like I hate life hacks, but it works here for what I'm talking about. It's even like parenting stuff i have three kids on top of everything else um and so like how to like my last one was how to manage you know travel because i just was on spring break with my kids like how to manage travel with three kids and not how you know not want to kill yourself in the process um yeah basically so you know it's just little things to like make your little things to make your life better so i usually include like a short kind of story um and then like one product that i'd recommend um might be it might be a, an app might be a physical product just something to make your life better, and then like one kind of tip, like one type of thing that you could just do. Um, right now, I really want to build credibility, um, and I think I'm doing that because I have very few unsubscribes from that email list. So even though people are coming from Gumroad and they don't like necessarily know they're going to end up on an email list, even though everybody kind of assumes that, um, I want them to stick around. So right now, I am not trying to upsell them on anything. Every once in a while, I'll link back. I, well, I always link back to Medium. I always link back to my Substack in that newsletter in some way. So I'm trying to send them to other platforms, but I am not currently offering them anything and I'm doing that on purpose. I wanna build a lot of trust and a lot of credibility and then I'm gonna say, oh, by the way, here's, I can help you with consulting or I do wanna do a course at some point but I really want that audience to know me and know who I am before I get to that point. So I have no interest in monetizing that newsletter right now. Um, I'm perfectly happy with just watching it build right now. I have plenty of client work that pays the bills, so I'll get to that point eventually.
0: Yeah, like I'm actually in the same place and um, my general rule of thumb honestly for anyone is like as you start creating, like don't even think about monetizing for the first at least like six months. Um, and for me, it's been longer than that now. And that's just because it's the same reason as you just trust and credibility. I mean, that will change shortly. I'm launching a whole new thing, uh, for, for coaching purposes. Um, but I don't, I never want to hard sell again, right? Like I'm so beyond that in my life. Everything's inbound. It's like, it's either the right fit for you or it's not. And I don't care. Like, I don't, I don't want to put the energy there. And so for me, it's about building this massive amount of trust to where you're wanting to work with me because you know I will be the right fit for you and that's it. Like there's no work on either side, it's just because there's so much value being given, it's like a no-brainer for you and that's basically it. Um, so I'm, I'm the exact same way, like you can't find for sale of anything since I've started creating online. Uh, all the money making stuff, I guess we'll call it, has just been either because someone's reach out to me um, or local. Like I was doing so much local freelancing and local consulting for so long um, and just my passions and interests shifted. So that's why I kind of ventured into the online space to begin with. But yeah, I'm right there with you. I'm like, uh, you don't have to rush to monetize. People have that dream. But that's also how you just get so discouraged. Like, because you think you're like, wow, I'm going to sell these digital products and like all these people are going to buy it and I'm going to have money. And I'm like, not really. <laughs> it's no. not that easy. No, it's not. <laughs> like, uh, the dream to release digital products and make a ton of money. Um, Is not the dream you think it is I can tell you that right now. yeah
1: and I think um, I see people all the time they're like I grew my Twitter from zero to a thousand and download my ebook and learn how to do that too I'm like well I'm not that impressed a lot of people have grown from zero to a thousand like you know and so I'm more interested in somebody who has really shown up you know day after day Um, I know I have purchase digital products from people, but they're people that I trust. I'm, I've been watching them for a while and I know that they know what they're talking about in whatever space that it's in. And so then it's worth it to me. I don't even think twice about purchasing a product or a course. Um, and so that's what I'd like to get to eventually with people. It's just, I want them to see value in what I do and say, sure. Yeah. I want to know what she has to say in this ebook or course or whatever it is.
0: Yeah, I'm the same way. Like, every product I buy, it's because it's somebody I already trust, and they announce it, and I go, okay, yeah, I bought, because I know it's going to be good. Um, like, there's no thought. Like, I don't I, – it's either an immediate no or immediate yes every time somebody, like, in their creator space releases something. And so that's ultimately what to strive for. And I would say, like, also always keep that long-term perspective because your reputation in this content world can be tarnished like that. Like, it can go away in a day. And so the trust and maintaining that trust and reputation is, is the best tip I can possibly give you.
1: I agree, too, because there are some creators that I've followed that as they got bigger, they lost something. I don't know. It's felt too much like they were monetizing and not focused on audience anymore. And then I lost trust. Because I felt like now all you're trying to do is sell me things and you're not trying to be helpful or anything like that. And so you know, I look at that and think, I don't want to be that person. I still always want to just be helpful um, and talk about the topics that I like and the topics that I think are interesting to
0: other people. Yeah, uh, I think a lot of it, it comes down to ego in a lot of cases. Um, I think that's just the reality is that when you do start getting all these likes and the dopamine and like, it does like kind of give you some warm and fuzzies every time. But so maybe that's part of it. But speaking of the warm and fuzzies from likes and you have gone completely viral. Not everyone can say that. Um, So you had a LinkedIn post blow up like crazy. If I was going to guess it, it'd have to have at least five or 6 million impressions. It
1: had Um, uh, four, 4 million.
0: Okay. Four. Okay. So Talk to me about that experience. Like you released the post and it immediately started going crazy and you were like, wow, what's happening. So talk to me about that experience of going viral.
1: Yeah. Um, so that was in late 2021, I was at a content marketing agency at the time. Um, I wrote a post about my husband, believe it or not, um, because he was working a job, uh, where he was working remotely, fully remote. And all of a sudden the company said, come back into the office. And the way that he and I have structured our lives and with our kids, he had been remote for a long time. Um, He had taken a new job. He'd been there about a year, but he'd been remote long before that. And he was kind of, we were both like, well, no, like (laughs) we're not going to, and we live in a suburb of Chicago. So asking us to, asking him to commute into the office was not a small request. Um, And he found a new job easily. At the time, um, you know, it was still 2021. Places were hiring like crazy. It was not a big deal for him to find a new job. I don't know why, whatever reason, that was a story that really resonated with people. And all of a sudden it just exploded. Like I could not keep up with the comments and things like that. Most were positive, um, you know, supportive and saying, yes, do what's best for your family, do what's best for you. There were some very negative people that said, well, the employer has the right to demand whatever they want. I'm like, sure. And he had the right to say no and leave. Um, you know, it led to my first podcast appearance ever um, with a news company, a news uh, organization that reached out to me and wanted to talk about it. Um, it led to some freelance work. Uh, people reached out and asked if I did writing, and I said, yes, I do. Um, The thing that was weird about that and that I was very unprepared for was I did not have a Substack at the time. I did not have any newsletter. I didn't have ConvertKit. And so I had all of this attention and it went kind of nowhere. You know, um, so with creators, that's the dream, right? That you get so much attention and then they show up and follow you on other platforms and that didn't happen because I was unprepared for it. And really because I didn't think anything of it. I just posted on LinkedIn that day like I do any other day and didn't think anything. Um, But I recently had a post go viral on Medium. It got about 40,000 views. And um, I was ready for it. So my call to action sent a ton of people to Gumroad. Um, I also had a link to say, oh, if you like this post, buy me a coffee. A bunch of people did. They said, thank you for this post. Uh, So... I would say for creators, like just it can happen at any time. And you want to be able to capture that audience just like on a newsletter or on something um, where you're able to like reach out to those people again. Cause I had so much attention and I had no way of, of reaching back out to those people later.
0: Yeah, I've, I've started changing my own tune on virality recently. Um, not, I, I mean, I still think it's heavily overrated, but at the same time, like the important things here, right? Like you, from that one post, you had new people all of a sudden asking you about freelance writing opportunities. Like that's something that can come from it. You talked about, um, you know, obviously the big thing is having a way to capture the attention. And so I see the advice around a lot about like, just wait to start your email list because no one's gonna sign up for it Um, if you're small, maybe get 10,000 followers or something first. And I just totally disagree because you never know and it's going to happen. Like you said, you posted randomly like you do any other day. And all of a sudden, boom, 4 million people are looking at your name and your post and your call to action or lack of call to action. And there you go. And you just missed it all. And so that's what I would say. Like, treat your profiles like a landing page. Always be ready. Be ready to capture the attention because you never know. And that's really it. And so... I would say like virality is still a little bit overrated, but if you are prepared with the proper profile call to action and email list or a way to gather them, then, you know, it's not so bad. Like I was trying to think back to on people that I've come across because they went viral and like Erica Snyder is one of them. Like she went completely viral on Twitter and that was how I originally found her content. And now I love her content and I read her stuff all the time and I've bought, you know, her recent digital product too. And so it, there is benefits to it, but it's just not all the warm and fuzzies that you think it's going to be, because you are going to get the hateful side, too. Odds are, if you posted something that went viral, it was controversial. Um, so how did you deal with the negative sides? Obviously, you wanted to comment and disagree. Did you make those comments, or did you just ignore them? Or
1: The one on LinkedIn um, eventually got so overwhelming with the the sheer volume of comments it was like a full-time job for the couple of days or whatever that it was so I just eventually I couldn't like I physically couldn't keep up and the notifications on LinkedIn are a little flaky anyway so I wasn't always getting (laughs) the notifications Um, the one on medium that recently went very recently went viral um, was about the Silicon Valley bank collapse and so there were That was a kind of a controversial topic, um, and I have a background in banking, so I tried to explain it in very simple terms like this is what happened, this is why it happened, this is what the potential ramifications are just based on my knowledge because um, everything I was seeing in the news assumed that people understood banking, understood venture capital tech, understood something about FDIC insurance, like there was, it was very confusing for people. And I work with BC backed tech companies. So I just kind of, you know, and I worked through the 2008 banking crisis in banking. So I tried to outline like this, this is what happened. Um, And it blew up. Um, But there were a lot of negative comments on that one as well for a lot of reasons. And I just ignored them. Like why <laughs> I, I, I just, I, unfortunately I had to ignore the positive ones as well. Cause I just didn't know if it was going to be a positive or a negative. I just had to ignore them because it would have just made me mad or sad, or I would have gotten sucked into commenting back or whatever. And it just wasn't worth it. The people who appreciated the article, you know, bought me a coffee or went over to Gumroad or something or followed me on medium. That's all the validation I needed.
0: Yeah. Um, I'm the same way like if something starts popping off like I don't even want to read the comments and I say that as like I don't necessarily think that's like a pro in my camp I think I would love to be able to read more negativity and not have it affect me mentally but it does so we all have our thing um and so I have that quite a lot still to this day like if you're listening and like you struggle with the negativity, just know that never goes away. Like it is what it is. So on LinkedIn, if I see it, I ignore it on medium. Sometimes I'll just stop looking at comments. If something pops off, I saw the article. Um, I remember you explaining it, uh, in the article, but yeah, it's funny. You mentioned the FDIC too, because even people that kind of know what FDIC is really don't understand like the actual process that goes on, especially when I was in banking, people would be like, "Uh, is this FDIC insured? I'd be like, yep. And they'd be like, okay. Cause they just like, Think they know way more than they do too.
1: <laughs> I had, oh. friends, you know, that was a scary weekend for people. I had friends that worked in tech, and they were like, "What do you mean the What do you mean the deposits aren't insured?" I'm like, "Well, they are insured, but only you know." So people didn't quite understand like what exactly that meant, um, and what the implications were. And so, you know, I saw the need that that people wanted an explanation that they weren't getting from other sources. Um, but you know, a lot of people had very strong feelings about what happened. And even though I tried to keep the article as neutral as possible, people still felt the need to correct me or tell me their feelings on it. And I just, you know, I'm trying to keep the Internet a happy place as much as possible. I don't You know, so I just right, it. you can
0: only do your part. You know? I, can I can only, only do only my do part. part.
1: Like I gave you the information.
0: <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, people uh, love to always tell you you're wrong about something if you post something and that's why I'm always like look just state your opinion loud proud bold be yourself because it doesn't matter how neutral you try to be I'm not saying you shouldn't always try to you shouldn't be neutral in some cases especially like an educational like blog but at the end of the day it doesn't matter how neutral you are somebody's going to come around and try hate on you
1: <laughs> I know There were a couple you know I posted a little bit on LinkedIn about the topic as well um and there were some comments that came in and I see those cuz there's just fewer of them than than what had happened on medium um there were some that i just deleted because it didn't serve it didn't serve me to get into an argument with the person and it was making me mad to see it so i just um i didn't need that negativity like i don't you know linkedin for the most part is not a very toxic platform for so for someone to really come at me i was like I, this isn't helping anybody so i just deleted the comment
0: and sometimes it's as simple as that. I like to say, you know, the block button is the Michael Jordan of the internet, you know, and it never loses in the finals. So.
1: Absolutely. You know, I, 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 really agree with that. I was talking to some people recently I'm like, make, make the internet a peaceful place for you if you can mute block, whatever you
0: need to do. Yeah. Just, just get rid of them. Cancel. Uh, but Anna, this was awesome. Thank you so much for coming in and given us your knowledge and thank you so much for your time before we go i'd love for you to tell everyone where they can find you online again obviously we've talked about it a ton but give them the 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 links the usernames um and then also i will link your gumroad in the show notes y'all go check out out her free downloads like i'm serious those tools will will change your life
1: i appreciate that um i am anna b yang everywhere so that's my twitter handle that's my instagram handle that's my website annabyang.com. That's my Medium. That's my Substack. I did a great job there, <laughs> just making myself really consistent. Um, or LinkedIn, Anna Burgess Yang. Um, so I'm easy to find because luckily I have a unique name that way. Uh, but, yeah, come find me anywhere on the Internet.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much for joining Anna, and we'll see you all next time.